Section 14 of A Popular History of France, Volume 5. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 36. Henry IV, Catholic King, 1593-1610, Part 9. But Sully was not at the end of his embarrassments, or of the sometimes feeble and sometimes sturdy fancies of his king. On the 10th of April, 1599, Gabriel d'Estrées died so suddenly that, according to the bias of the times, when in the highest ranks crimes were so common that they were always considered possible and almost probable, she was at first supposed to have been poisoned. But there seemed to be no likelihood of this. The consent of Marguerite de Valois to the annulment of her marriage was obtained, and negotiations were opened at Rome by Arnold de Sa, who was made a cardinal, and by Brûlard de Sillery, ambassador ad hoc but a new difficulty supervened not for the negotiators who knew or appeared to know nothing about it but for sully in three or four weeks after the death of gabriel d'estrees henry the fourth was paying court to a new favourite one morning at fontainebleau just as he was going out hunting he took sully by the hand led him into the first gallery gave him a paper and turning the other way as if he were ashamed to see it read by sully quote, read that said he and then tell me your opinion of it Sully found that it was a promise of marriage given to Madame Henriette d'Entraigues, daughter of Francis de Balzac, lord of Entraigues, and Marie Touchet, favourite of Charles the Ninth. Sully went up to the king, holding in his hand the paper folded up. Quote, "'What do you think of it?' said the king. "'Now, now, speak freely. Your silence offends me far more than your most adverse expressions could. I misdoubt me much that you will not give me your approval, if it were only for the hundred thousand crowns that I made you hand over with so much regret. I promise you not to be vexed at anything you can possibly say to me. Quote. Quote, you mean it, sir, and you promise not to be angry with me, whatever I may say or do. Quote. Quote, yes, yes, I promise all you desire, since for anything you say it will be all the same, neither more nor less. End quote. Thereupon, taking that written promise as if he would have given it back to the king, Sully, instead of that, tore it in two, saying, quote, There, sir, as you wish to know, is what I think about such a promise. Quote. Quote, ah, morbleu, what are you at? Are you mad? Quote. Quote, it is true, sir, I am a madman and a fool, and I wish I were so much thereof as to be the only one in France. "'Very well, very well, I understand you,' said the king, "'and will say no more, in order to keep my word to you, "'but give me back that paper.'" Quote. Quote, "'Sir,' replied Sully, "'I have no doubt your majesty is aware "'that you are destroying all the preparatives for your dismarriage, "'for this promise once divulged, "'and it is demanded of you for no other purpose, "'never will the queen your wife do the things necessary "'to make your dismarriage valid, "'nor indeed will the pope bestow upon it "'his apostolic blessing,' that I know of my own knowledge. The king made no answer, went out of the gallery, entered his closet, asked for pen and ink, remained there a quarter of an hour, wrote out a second paper like that which had just been torn up, mounted his horse without saying a word to Sully whom he met, went hunting, and during the day deposited the new promise of marriage with Henriette d'Entraigues, who kept it, or had it kept in perfect secrecy, till the 2nd of July, the time at which her father, the Count of Entraigues, gave her up to the king in consideration of twenty thousand crowns cash. In the teeth of all these incidents, known or voluntarily ignored, 
the negotiations for the annulment of the marriage of henry the fourth and marguerite de valois were proceeded with at rome by the consent of the two parties clement the eighth had pronounced on the seventeenth of december fifteen ninety nine and transmitted to paris by cardinal de joyeuse the decree of annulment on the sixth of january sixteen hundred henry the fourth gave his ambassador brulard de sillery powers to conclude at florence his marriage with mary de medici daughter of francis i de medici grand duke of tuscany and joan archduchess of austria and niece of the grand duke ferdinand i de medici who had often rendered henry the fourth pecuniary services dearly paid for as early as the year fifteen ninety two there had been something said about this project of alliance it was resumed and carried out on the fifth of october sixteen hundred at florence with lavish magnificence mary embarked at leghorn on the seventeenth with a fleet of seventeen galleys that of which she was aboard the general was all covered over with jewels inside and out she arrived at marseilles on the third of november and at lyons on the second of december where she waited till the ninth for the king who was detained by the war with savoy he entered her chamber in the middle of the night booted and armed and next day in the cathedral church at st john re-celebrated his marriage more rich in wealth than it was destined to be in happiness mary de medici was beautiful in fifteen ninety two when she had first been talked about and her portrait at that time had charmed the king but in sixteen hundred she was twenty-seven tall fat with round staring eyes and a forbidding air and ill-dressed she knew hardly a word of french and henriette d'entraigues whom the king had made marquise de verneuil could not help exclaiming when she saw her quote, so that is the fat bankeress from florence henry the fourth seemed to have attained in his public and in his domestic life the pinnacle of earthly fortune and ambition he was at one and the same time catholic king and the head of the protestant polity in europe accepted by the catholics as the best the only possible king for them in france he was at peace with all europe except one petty prince the duke of savoy charles emmanuel i from whom he demanded back the marquisette of saluzzo or a territorial compensation in france itself on the french side of the alps after a short campaign and thanks to rosny's ordinance he obtained what he desired and by a treaty of january the seventeenth sixteen o one he added to french territory la bresse le bugy the district of guesch and the citadel of bourg which still held out after the capture of the town he was more and more dear to france to which he had restored peace at home as well as abroad and industrial commercial financial monumental and scientific prosperity until lately unknown sully covered the country with roads bridges canals buildings and works of public utility the moment the king after the annulment of his marriage with marguerite de valois saw his new wife mary de medici at lyons she had disgusted him and she disgusted him more every day by her cantankerous and headstrong temper but on the twenty seventh of september sixteen o one she brought him a son who was to be louis the thirteenth henry used to go for distraction from his wife's temper to his favourite henriette d'entraigues who knew how to please him at the same time that she was haughty and exacting towards him he set less store upon the peace of his household than upon that of his kingdom he had established his favourite at the louvre itself close beside his wife and his new marriage once contracted he considered his domestic life settled as well as his political position he was mistaken on both points he was not at the end of either his political dangers or his amorous fancies since fifteen ninety five his principal companion in arms or rather his camp favourite charles de Gontaut, 
baron de biron whom he had made admiral duke and marshal of france was all the while continuing to serve him in the field becoming day by day a determined conspirator against him he had begun by being a reckless gamester and in that way he lost fifteen hundred thousand crowns about six millions of francs of our day Quote, i don't know said he whether i shall die on the scaffold or not but i will never come to the poorhouse he added quote, when peace is concluded the king's love affairs the scarcity of his largesses and the discontent of many will lead to plenty of splits more than are necessary to embroil the most peaceful kingdoms in the world and should that fail we shall find in religion more than we want to put the most lukewarm huguenot in a passion and the most penitent leaguers in a fury henry the fourth regarded biron with tender affection quote, i never loved anybody as i loved him he used to say i would have trusted my son and my kingdom to him he has done me good service but he cannot say that i did not save his life three times i pulled him out of the enemy's hands at fontaine francaise so wounded and so dazed with blows that as i had acted soldier in saving him i also acted marshal as regarded the retreat biron nevertheless prosecuted his ambitious designs the independent sovereignty of burgundy was what he aspired to and any alliance any plot was welcome as a stepping-stone caesar or nothing he would say i will not die without seeing my head on a quarter-crown piece he entered into flagrant conspiracy with the king of spain with the duke of savoy with the french malcontents the duke of bouillon and the count of auvergne henry the fourth knew it and made every effort to appear ignorant of it to win biron back to him he paid his debts he sent him on an embassy he tempted him to confessions which should entitle him to a full pardon Quote, let him weep he would say and i will weep with him let him remember what he owes me and i will not forget what i owe him i were loath that marshal de biron should be the first example of my just severity and that my reign which has hitherto been calm and serene should be charged all at once with thunder and lightning he employed rosny to bring biron to confess quote, my friend said he here is an unhappy man the marshal it is a serious case i am anxious to spare him i cannot bring myself to harm a man who has courage who has served me so long and been so familiar to me my fear is that though i spare him he will not spare me or my children or my kingdom he would never confess anything to me he behaves to me like a man who has some mischief in his heart i beg you to see him if he is open with you assure him that he may come to me and i will forgive him with all my heart rosny tried and failed quote, it is not i who want to destroy this man said the king it is he who wants to destroy himself i will myself tell him that if he lets himself be brought to justice he has no mercy whatever to expect from me he saw biron at fontainebleau received him after dinner spoke to him with his usual familiarity and pointing to his own equestrian statue in marble which was on the mantelpiece said quote, what would the king of spain say if he saw me like that eh quote. Quote, he would not be much afraid of you answered biron henry gave him a stern look the marshal tried to take back his words quote, i mean sir if he were to see you in that statue yonder and not in your own person the retreat was not successful the shot had taken effect henry left the room went back into his closet and gave orders to his captain of the guard to arrest him then he returned to the room and said quote, marshal reflect upon what i have said to you biron preserved a frigid silence quote, adieu baron de biron said the king thus by a single word annulling all his dignities and sending him before his proper judges to answer for his treasons 
on the eighteenth of june sixteen o two he brought the marshal before the court of parliament the inquiry lasted three weeks biron was unanimously condemned to death by a hundred and twenty-seven judges quote, for conspiracies against the king's person attempts upon his kingdom and treasons and treaties with the enemies of the kingdom end quote. the king gave to this sentence all the alleviations compatible with public interests he allowed biron to make his will remitted the confiscation of his property, and ordered that the execution should take place at the Bastille, in the presence of certain functionaries, and not on the Place de Grève and before the mob. When Biron found himself convicted and sentenced, he burst into a fury, loaded his judges with insults, and roared out that, quote, if he were driven to despair and frenzy, he would strangle half of those present, and force the other half to kill him, end quote. The executioner was obliged to strike him unawares those present withdrew dumbfounded at the crime the prisoner's rage the execution and the scene when the question of conspiracies and conspirators with spain against france and her king had thus been publicly raised and decided it entailed another had the spanish monks the jesuits to call them by their own name taken part therein should proceedings accordingly be taken against them they were no longer in france they had been banished on the twenty ninth of december fifteen ninety four by a solemn decree of parliament after john chatel's attempt they were demanding their return the pope was demanding it for them quote, if at other times they said the society had shown hostility to france and her king it was because though well received everywhere else especially in the dominions of the king of spain they had met in france with nothing but persecutions and insults if henry would be pleased to testify good will towards them he would soon find them devoted to his person and his throne the question was debated at the king's council and especially between henry the fourth and sully when they were together sully did not like the return of the jesuits quote, they are away said he let them remain so if they return it will be all very fine for them to wish and all very fine for them to act their presence their discourse their influence involuntary though it be will be opposed to you will heat your enemies will irritate your friends hatred and mistrust will go on increasing the king was of a different opinion quote, of necessity he said to sully i must now do one of two things admit the jesuits purely and simply relieve them from the defamation and insults with which they have been blasted and put to the proof all their fine sentiments and excellent promises or use against them all severities that can be imagined to keep them from ever coming near me and my dominions in which latter case there is no doubt it would be enough to reduce them to utter despair and to thoughts of attempting my life which would render me miserable or listless living constantly in suspicion of being poisoned or assassinated for these gentry have communications and correspondence everywhere and great dexterity in disposing men's minds as it seems good to them it were better for me to be dead being therein of caesar's opinion that the pleasantest death is that which is least foreseen and apprehended the king then called to remembrance the eight projected or attempted assassinations which since the failure of john chatel from fifteen ninety six to sixteen o three had been and clearly established to have been directed against him upon this sully at once went over to the king's opinion in september sixteen o three letters for the restoration of the jesuits were issued and referred to the parliament of paris they there met on the twenty fourth of december with strong opposition and remonstrances that have remained celebrated the mouthpiece being the premier president achille de harlay the same who had courageously withstood the duke of guise 
he conjured the king to withdraw his letters patent and to leave intact the decree which had banished the jesuits this was not he said the feeling of the parliament of paris only but also of the parliaments of normandy and burgundy that is of two-thirds of the magistrates throughout the kingdom henry was touched and staggered he thanked the parliament most affectionately but quote, we must not reproach the jesuits for the league said he it was the fault of the times leave me to deal with this business i have managed others far more difficult End quote. the parliament obeyed though with regret and on the second of january sixteen o four the king's letters patent were enregistered this was not the only business that henry had at heart he had another of another sort and for him more difficult to manage in february sixteen o nine he saw for the first time at the court of france charlotte marguerite third daughter of the constable de montmorency only sixteen years old quote, there was at that time say all contemporaries nothing so beautiful under heaven or more graceful or more perfect before presenting her at court her father had promised her to francis de bassompierre descended from a branch of the house of cloves thirty years old and already famous for his wit his magnificence and his gallantry he was one of the principal gentlemen of the chamber to the king henry the fourth sent for him one morning made him kneel on a hassock in front of his bed and said that obtaining no sleep he had been thinking of him the night before and of getting him married Quote, as for me says bassompierre who was thinking of nothing so little as of what he wanted to say to me, I answered that if it were not for the constable's gout, it would have already been done. No, said he to me, I thought of getting you married to Mademoiselle d'Aumale, and in consequence of that marriage, of renewing the Duchy of Aumale in your person. I asked him if he wanted me to have two wives. Then he said to me with a deep sigh, Bassompierre, I will speak to thee as a friend. I have become not only enamoured, but mad, beside myself, about Mademoiselle de Montmorency. If thou wed her and she love thee, I shall hate thee. If she loved me, thou wouldst hate me. It is better that this should not be the cause of destroying our good understanding, for I love thee affectionately and sincerely. I am resolved to marry her to my nephew, the Prince of Condé, and keep her near my family. That shall be the consolation and the support of the old age which is coming upon me. I shall give my nephew, who is young and loves hunting ten thousand times better than women, a hundred thousand francs a year to pass his time, and I want no other favor from her but her affection, without looking for anything more." Thoroughly astounded and put out as he was, Bassompierre reflected that it was, so far as he was concerned, quote, an amour modified by marriage, end quote, and that it would be better to give way to the king with a good grace, end quote. I withdraw, sir, he said, on very good terms as regarded Mademoiselle de Montmorency as well as himself. The king embraced him, wept, promised to love him dearly, saw him again in the evening, in company with Mademoiselle de Montmorency, who knew nothing, and conversed a long while with the young princess. When she retired, perceiving that Bassompierre was watching her, she shrugged her shoulders, as if to hint to him what the king had said to her. Quote, I lie not, says Bassompierre, that single action pierced me to the heart. I spent two days in tormenting myself like one possessed, without sleeping, drinking, or eating. End quote. Two or three days afterwards, the Prince of Condé announced that he intended to marry Mademoiselle de Montmorency. The court and the city talked of nothing but this romance and the betrothal which immediately followed. End of section 14.